0: This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats.
1: You know, at the end of the day, we're all human, you know, and, and we're here contributing, and, you know, we all pay taxes, and, you know, we're basically citizens in, in a way, you know, or we would like to be. Why would you punish people who are here doing the right thing? If it wasn't for DACA, there was no chance that, you know, I would have played, there was no chance I would have even worked. Um, you know, that's what opened all the doors for me. We come here because we want to make you know, a better life for ourselves and those around
2: us. Hi, I'm Rob Bonta. I represent Oakland in the California State Assembly. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Look West. I'm very proud of California's many immigrant communities, both past and present, who have helped build our state into one of the largest economies in the world. Now, while the federal administration continues with its anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies, we here in California are following a very different path. We are doing everything we can to support our immigrant communities. Among those being hurt by this president and the GOP are DACA recipients, young people brought here as children with no choice in that decision. Approximately 800,000 DACA recipients are living in America. About 200,000 of them live right here in California. Today on Look West, we'll hear from one of the many remarkable DACA recipients who is making our country better, making our country stronger. Like many of his fellow DACA recipients, Miguel Aguilar has worked hard and achieved success. Brought to America to escape the violence in his home country, he's graduated from college and has been signed to a professional soccer contract by the LA Galaxy videographer Christian Angiano caught up with Miguel following a recent LA Galaxy practice and talked with him about coming to the U.S., being a DACA recipient, and whether or not he's hopeful for the future. How you doing, Miguel? I'm well. How
1: are
0: you? Pretty good. Thank you for joining us on Look West. So uh, tell us a little bit about <clears throat> your journey as a child living in Ciudad Juarez mm-hmm. to to the point where you're, you're now a professional athlete.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it was a A long road, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Ciudad Juarez, playing soccer and going to school. You know, live at home with a brother and a sister, and my mom Uh, lived in Juarez up until the age of nine, Uh, and then at that point, uh, my mom decided to move us to Sacramento, California. From there, you know, I went to school, did well in academics, played soccer still. Uh, You know, that led to a a scholarship uh, that sent me to San Francisco, USF. Um, I did three and a half years there, and, you know, played soccer, did well in academics, graduated in three and a half years, um, and then, you know, I was drafted by DC United to go play soccer there. Played two years there, and then now I'm with LA Galaxy.
0: Did mm-hmm. you enjoy your childhood?
1: I did, you know, I was like any other kid, you know, I loved being outdoors. Um, you know, most of my time I just, you know, spent it either playing with friends or training and, you know, playing soccer. You know, I was barely inside inside the house, you know. I used to spend as much time as I could outside in the park, you know, just hanging out with friends. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say I had a pretty normal childhood. Uh, How
0: was it living in Juarez, uh, so close to the border? You know, of course, there was issues uh, with the cartel, with uh,
1: violence. And... You know, uh, as a kid, I, you know, kind of wasn't really aware you know, the, the things that were going on around me, you know, I was just kind of more focused on, you know, what was on TV and, you know, going to, you know, my friend's house or like, you know, video games were coming out. Uh, as I got older, I kind of became more, you know, mindful of, of you know, the violence and, and the crime that was going on around in my neighborhood. Um, and, you know, my mom made sure that I was, I was always safe, you know, she always made me go inside before dark. You know, little things like that that, you know, like now looking back, you know, I can see why, 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 what she was like that.
0: What triggered uh, the conversation, the decision of moving to to the United States?
1: Yeah, um, you know, that was a, a period in time where you know why Juarez just became too dangerous. Um, you know, my mom decided that it was time for us to leave, and you know, just try to go somewhere where where the family would be safe. Um, I remember coming home one day, you know, I was out at the park playing and. You know, she talked to both my brother and my sister, and I could see that they were upset about something. And then, you know, when she finally told me that we were moving, you know, to like pick out a few things and, you know, we we're going to start selling the rest, um, you know, I just kind of brushed it off, you know, I didn't, I didn't make a big deal out of it. Um, but then when I finally saw that, you know, all my toys and my things were being kind of sold and, you know, shipped off, uh, you know, that's when it kind of became really real. You
0: arrived to Sacramento
1: um, mm-hmm. What was it like? It was scary, you know, new place, new people, you know, everything was unfamiliar. So, it was, it was scary at first, you know, I started I started school um, and, you know, I had to assimilate and, you know, the language, you know, it was a language that I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't speak it. So, it was a bit of an adjustment, you know, it took me, I'd say, about like a year before I felt comfortable, like having a conversation and talking to someone. And,
0: you get to Sacramento. You're, you're, you're in school. At what point did you realize that you were undocumented?
1: I think it was, um, I think seventh grade. You know, we we were going away on a field trip to uh, Sunsplash in Roseville, which is like you know a water park. Um, and you know I wanted to go, but then you know they gave us these forms to you know take home to our parents so they can fill them out you know, like a, a permission slip uh, and then when I showed it to my mom and you know, then she started reading through it and she, you know, she kind of pulled me to the side she said, uh, you can't go. And, you know, that's when I realized that I didn't have a social security number or you know, any sort of medical insurance. Um, that's kind of when I first became aware that, you know, that my situation wasn't you know, like all the other kids. How did you feel? I felt, you know, devastated, you know, like. Not being able to do all the fun stuff at school, you know, while everybody else was away on field trips, I had to go and, you know, just sit in the classroom and, you know, just stay behind with, you know, all the other kids that for whatever reason couldn't go either.
0: Did you feel like you were being punished?
1: I didn't feel like I was being punished. I just kind of felt like, you know, I was being left out. It was a weird feeling, you know, it was like, kind of like I was thrown to the side. Um, you know, I don't know, I couldn't understand why I just, you know, they couldn't just take me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, I guess it's part of how it goes.
0: Of course you didn't let that stop you from mm-hmm. working hard in school.
1: No, yeah, I mean, you know, ever since I was I was really young, I, I enjoyed school. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a good challenge, you know, for me it was, school was always fun, I know it's, you know, maybe it sounds weird to say it like that, but, you know, I, I've, I've always liked to keep busy, you know. What were we grades it's, like in, in high school? In high school? Uh, I was a 4 student.
0: I remember um, the story about you mentoring your teammates. Yeah, uh, because they were ineligible.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think it was my junior year of high school. It was actually the, the first year we won the section championship. Uh, we had maybe I don't know 13 players, and you know a couple of them were struggling in some classes. So if they became ineligible, then you know we'd have to go into games you know with missing some of our our key players. So, I just kind of started helping them with their homework, you know, and like, make sure they stay eligible and, you know, it all paid off, you know, we ended up winning section championship that year, so.
0: You went to Encina High School, just where I went to go to school. go to high school. It wasn't the best of, of, of neighborhoods, it wasn't the best mm-hmm. best of atmosphere, there was there's a lot of options to go the other way, mm-hmm. but you managed to get a full-ride scholarship. How did that go about?
1: Uh, you know, it was kind of a, a team effort. For me to, to get to college, you know, I had my mom and my sister who just you know always pushed me to pursue you know a higher education. You know, I had soccer, and at the time, my soccer coach uh, Tibor Pele just you know took a really you know big interest in me and kind of took me in into his home, you know, with his kids and his wife, and you know they're the ones that kind of started you know talking to me about college and you know making it you know a real possibility. So, you know, a couple years went on and, you know, I just kind of stayed really close to them and my family and, you know, just kind of surrounded myself with the people that I knew were going to help me, you know, get to where I am now. So, you know, between all of them, they just, you know, helped me with everything as far as, like, you know, being able to get to and from practice to, you know, making sure that, you know, I was doing my homework and, you know, whenever I needed help writing a paper or, you know, doing something, they were always there for me. Um, you know, to the point where I you know, finally came around to start applying for colleges. And, you know, both Tibor and his wife, Maya, you know, stayed up with me writing papers and, you know, admission essays and all this stuff uh, until finally I was able to land, you know, at USF.
0: Your soccer coach takes you to uh, watch a Seattle Sanders game. Yeah. You, you weren't a professional athlete then. No. Um, what was that conversation about? Yeah,
1: you know, uh, we went to a Seattle-Sanders game, that was actually the first professional game I'd ever been to, you know, playing soccer all my life and I never watched a professional game before. Um, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the stands talking to him the whole time and you know, we're like talking about certain players we like and you know, what some guys are doing right and you know, what some guys could be doing better and stuff like that and you know, he, he tells me, you know, it's like, you're gonna be out there one day. You know, I just kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that'd be nice. Uh, you know, I thought it was like, you know, just him being nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, eventually, like, you know, you fast forward, I don't know, like, five, six years later and, you know, I played on that very same stadium.
0: What was that like?
1: It was surreal, man. It's like, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, you know, kind of always, you know, followed the Sounders and to finally play against them in that stadium was, it was, it was incredible.
0: What was the main, one of the main reasons why you chose uh,
1: USF? So USF, you know, had everything I wanted. You know, it was a private school. It was in home home, but it was close enough where, like, you know, I could get to and from Sacramento pretty easily. And, you know, it was it was based in a great city. And, you know, on top of that, it was a sanctuary city that I knew would protect me, despite being undocumented.
0: California has uh, taken a lead in, in protecting uh, dreamers, mm-hmm. and protecting. Uh, the undocumented. Um, do you think California is, is headed in the right direction?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just the humane and, you know, the ethical thing to do, you know. At the end of the day, we're all human, you know, and, and everyone that, that has applied for DACA has gone through, you know, a very rigorous program where, like, you have to, you know, do background checks and you have to be there. Uh, you know, attend a higher education school or, you know, enrolled in the military. So it's all, it's all people that are, you know, we're here contributing and, you know, we all pay taxes and, you know, we're basically citizens in, in a way, you know, or we would like to be. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, why would you punish people who are here doing the right thing?
0: Do you think um, being here in California, has that uh, helped?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, just growing up here, um, it just kind of shaped, you know, everything, every aspect of my life. You know, living growing up in Sacramento, which is the capital. You know, just kind of get a a closer view of, like, you know, everything that's going on around the state. And then, you know, moving off to San Francisco, which is one of the biggest cities, and all the diversity in it. And you know, going to school in a Jesuit, you know, private school who like really values, you know, ethics and morals, and you know, doing the right thing. It just kind of, you know, all shaped my, you know. Or belief system and my values and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: You applied for DACA mm-hmm. um, while you were uh, a sophomore in college. Yeah. Did DACA open doors for you?
1: If it wasn't for DACA, I don't think that you know I'd be sitting here with you right now. Uh, you know, it's what first allowed me to be able to work in the first place. You know, like I mentioned, one of my biggest fears was going to college and doing all the work, and then you know at the end of four years, graduating and having a piece of paper that I can't put to work. Uh, because I didn't have a work permit or because I was undocumented. So, you know, when DACA came around, that fear kind of was, you know, finally put to rest. You know, I knew that despite of whatever happened, you know, I'd have an education and, you know, I'd be able to to work.
0: You were drafted uh, into the MLS by Mm -hmm. uh, DC United. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, finally graduated, you know, got done with school. And then, I, you know, I went into the draft, and, you know, thankfully, D.C. took a chance with me. They picked me up, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm out in D.C. It was, you know, it was an experience, right? Like, I moved across the country by myself at 21 years old, you know, but kind of really no one lo- to look out for me. But, you know, I knew that, you know, in this DACA. is— And Yeah, and DACA, right? Like, you know, it's going into, like, completely uncharted territory. You know, there's no one I can turn to for advice because no one had done it. You know, as the first yeah, professional athlete to play as a DACA recipient, there was really no blueprint for, you know, how to do things. So it was just all kind of like on the fly winging stuff, you know, like making sure that, you know, as soon as 90 days from my expiration date, I was already applying to get, you know, a new work permit and, you know, making sure that I was applying ahead of time when I knew we had, you know, out of the country games to get, a you know, my... Uh, travel permit, it's like little things like that, you know, it's like I was always on top of everything.
0: So you're playing for DC, you have your first big tournament in Mm -hmm. Costa Rica.
1: Yeah, so my very first professional game uh, was uh, a CONCACAF championship uh, or Champions League game in Costa Rica. So this is the first time I travel outside of the United States since I arrived in 2004. This is 2015, so it's been 11 years since I left the country. So I go to Costa Rica, um, you know, finally play for the first time, you know, realizing my dream of, you know, stepping you know foot on the field as a professional athlete. And you know, less than 24 hours later, I'm sitting in a customs room for three hours. Uh, so I went from, you know, one of the happiest moments of my life to probably one of the, the scariest moments. Did it even
0: cross your mind that you
1: something might happen. Um, you always had that, that worry that, you know, it's like, well, what if you know they don't let me back in? You know, what if this happens? What if they just stop me? Or, like, what if, I don't know. All these what ifs just started popping in my head. Um, like, as soon as, you know, we got to the airport, uh, you know, thankfully it all worked out, but, man, that, you know, it put a scare on me. Um, yeah, just, like, sitting in customs for three hours with, you know, having no idea what was going to happen to me. You know, it was probably one of the most uh, scary things that's happened to me. So then
0: they finally... Yeah,
1: so they finally called me in, you know, I talked to one of the Border Patrol officers. Um, you know, he kind of questioned me for about five minutes, you know, like where where was I coming from, where was I going to, you know, what, what I did for a living, and, you know, he l- took a look at my documents, and, you know, he asked me for a green card, and, you know, I told him, hey, this is all I have. And, you know, he called someone else in. And, you know, they finally stamped my paper, and, you know, they let me through. Um, if it wasn't for DACA, there was no chance, like, you know, I would have played. There was no chance I would have even worked. Um, you know, I, I don't know what I would have been doing. You know, that's what opened all the doors for me.
0: Do you feel that you've become a, a voice for for the Dreamers? A voice for, for those who really live, continue to live in the shadows?
1: Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I I've lived it, you know, I had, I had to fight and struggle and kind of just go through it all. Um so, you know, I feel like you know, I have some knowledge that maybe could help other people, you know, and I feel like it's it's my responsibility and my duty to just, you know, try to inform people and you know, be a voice for them. You know, just kind of show them that, you know, hard work gets you a long way and you know, just to not give up.
0: You you were going to school, getting <laughs> your grades. Mhm being a contributing citizen, yeah, contrary to what,
1: you know... Yeah, to popular belief. Um, yeah, you know, it's... I don't know, I guess there's just like a, a negative connotation attached to being an, an immigrant. You know, we, we come here because we want to make, you know, a better life for ourselves and those around us, you know, whether it be family or just, you know, our neighbors or community, you know. It's like I have a very good relationship with people around me that are I'm not related to and, you know, I've built very good, you know, bonds and friendships and, you know, despite being an immigrant, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm part of this nation, too.
0: And you've uh, become a role model to a lot of kids who dream of being professional athletes. How does that make you feel?
1: Uh, good, man. I mean, I feel like, you know, I've, I've kind of paved the way. Now it's just, you know, there's a flood of kids that are, like, waiting to come through and, you know, I feel like... There's a lot of talent out there that maybe, you know, they're being held back by, by fear or, you know, whatever it may be. And I just kind of show them that, you know, it's like there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, just do the right things, work hard, and, you know, things good things will come your way.
0: What do you tell uh, dreamers uh, in the position where they can become professional athletes or become any other profession? Um, do you give them some sort of advice?
1: Yeah, you know, I always tell people, you know, it's like, I had so many doors closed on my face, and I think maybe the only thing that set me apart was that I never took no for an answer. You know, whenever one door closed, you know, I knew that there was another one opening, so you just always got to keep looking. You know, it's, just, it's when you give up that you, you know, you really are defeated, so just don't give up.
0: Are you hopeful
1: for the future? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I'm always striving to, you know, better myself and my situation, and. You know, it's it's always been that that drive that I think, you know, got me as far as I am. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'm hopeful that things will, you know, get better for not just me, but, you know, every other DACA recipient. You know, I'm hopeful that, you know, something will will happen and Congress will do something and, you know, things will get better.
2: That's it for Look West. Thanks for listening. Rob Bonta in the California State Assembly signing off.